what an insult it must be to God when we drag Him down by our weak and sinful thoughts of Him. When we think of God differently than He has revealed Himself. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his series with part six of Tear Down Every Idol. Do you love what you want more than you love anything else, including God? Is that desire and its fulfillment what you believe will bring you your highest and greatest happiness? Are you willing to disobey God to have it? In other words, are you convinced that this thing you want is what will bring you the greatest happiness? Well, if you're convinced of that, it has become an idol. And as you'll discover today, if anything other than God Himself is your greatest source of happiness and satisfaction, you have indeed constructed an idol. Keep that in mind as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Turn to 1 John. Verse 21 says this, Little children, guard yourself from idols. Now, in its context, this warning is not about a piece of stone or a carved piece of wood. Instead, it's a warning about the false teaching about Jesus. The idolatry he has in mind is the idolatry of those who are teaching falsehood about Jesus Christ. If I had time to take you through it, we'd go through 1 John. Let me just give you the verses, and you can look them up at, in your own study time. But in, in 1 John 2, verse 22, these false teachers failed to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. In chapter 4, verse 2, they said Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh. They denied the humanity of Jesus Christ, that he was one of us. In chapter 4, verse 15, they denied that Jesus was the Son of God. In chapter 5, verse 1, they did not love Jesus Christ. And in chapter 5, verse 10, they did not believe in him. Now, look at chapter 5 again and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourself from idols. You see the contrast? Jesus Christ and the Father are God. To refuse to acknowledge that is to, in fact, be worshiping idols, just as these false teachers had done. Martin Luther put it this way, Outside Christ, there is nothing but idolatry and merely a false imagined notion about God. If you want to be justified before God and saved by that sort of worship, it makes no difference whether you call its basis the Quran, the command of the Pope, or even the law of Moses. In fact, Luther held that all trust in yourself and in your own righteousness was essentially idolatry, that it was the deification of self. Let me put it to you like this. What the scriptures say and what Luther was saying is this. If you have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you may as well build an image of yourself and prop it up in some room in your house and fall down in front of it and worship. 
Because as far as God is concerned, that's exactly the kind of idolatry you are. Now those are the five forms idolatry has taken and still takes in the world. But now I want us to look closer home. In our closets and in our hearts, what gods are we as Christians tempted to follow because of the pagan world in which we live? What gods are our greatest temptations? Well, the final two forms of idolatry are where we find our greatest temptation. Let's look at them briefly together. Number six in our little list, holding wrong or deficient views of the true God. Holding wrong or deficient views of the true God. Now, I am convinced that this is the most common form of idolatry in America today and in American evangelicalism. And compared to worshiping materialism or sexual sin or sports, it is by far the most serious and the most insulting to God. We sang this morning, holy, holy, holy. You know what that means? Certainly that word speaks of God's moral purity, and he is. But it speaks of a lot more. When it's used in reference to God, God's holiness means that he is utterly unlike his creation. He is separate from, he is unlike anything else in terms of his glory and his essential character. What an insult it must be to God when we drag him down by our weak and sinful thoughts of him. When we think of God differently than he has revealed himself, John MacArthur puts it this way, idolatry does not begin with a sculptor's hammer. It begins in the mind. You see, this is where idolatry starts. When we conceive God to be less than he really is. In Psalm 50, verse 21, God puts it like this, you thought that I was just like you. What an insult to God that must be. You thought I was just like you. You see, what we do in our minds is we can't deal with or we don't want to deal with the glory of God revealed in his word, and so we drag him down, as it were, to our level where we can get our arms around him, where he can live in our little box, where he's safe, where we can do what we want, and we can pull him out of his little box like a genie and get what we want. Well, God doesn't play along with our little games. When we think of God differently than he has revealed himself, we are not worshiping the true God. We are idolaters. Sometimes hear Christians say things like this. In fact, this is being written on the internet and in books published by Christian publishing houses. My God is a God of love. He would never send a good Muslim or Buddhist to hell. Well, listen, I'm not excited about the doctrine of eternal punishment either. That's a frightening reality. But I can't reconstruct God for my own sake. I can't make him something other than he's revealed himself to be. And to do so is an act of idolatry. Or somebody will say something like this. Well, I'm going to do this thing, and I know it's wrong, but I'll do it, wink, wink, and then God will forgive me. Listen, you just remade God in your own image, as if he's as weak and uncaring about a standard of righteousness as you are. That's presumption. You ought to be frightened to think that way. Or, and unfortunately I've heard this on a number of occasions, I know you don't think it's right for me to divorce my spouse, but God wants me to be happy. You know, I want to take the Bible and kind of hold it and say, show me where it says God wants you happy outside of his own standard. 
No, God wants you holy. And if you really love God, then holiness will make you happy. When we reconstruct God in our own image, we are worshiping an idolatrous substitute for the real thing. Now, we're going to deal with this form of idolatry more when we get to true worship. So that's all I'm going to say about it now. Let's move on to where I want to spend the rest of our time on the seventh form of idolatry, seventh and last form of idolatry. It's the most insidious for those of us who are Christians. Number seven, giving any human desire, giving any human desire precedence over God's word and God's will. This is idolatry, giving any human desire precedence over God's word and God's will. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul sets this forth very clearly in his third in the third chapter of his letter to the church in Colossae. He begins the chapter by saying certain realities are true. You have been raised up with Christ. Therefore, keep seeking what's above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, listen, something happened when you came to faith in Christ. It's as if all that you were and all that you used to be died. And you're a new person in Christ. So, verse 5, start living like that. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Literally, it says, put to death the members which are upon the earth. To use John MacArthur's colorful, colorful language in his book about this issue, this could be described as hacking Agag to pieces. <laughs> you know, using the analogy of the Old Testament story. We're supposed to put to death what remains in us of sinfulness. Now notice in this verse, verse 5, in the words that follow, there is a movement that takes place. There is a movement from the outward manifestations of sin to the inward cravings of the heart, from acts of immorality to the inner springs from which those acts flow. Now notice the words he uses. Here's what I want you to put to death, he says. In light of the reality of who you are in Christ, Let's start with immorality. Now, immorality is a translation of the Greek word porneia. It refers to any illegitimate sexual intercourse. Then the word impurity. Impurity is moral uncleanness. It refers to immoral sexual conduct of any kind. Passion. This is any shameful passion that leads to sexual excesses. Evil desire simply means the craving for evil. Now, all of those really have to do with sexual sin. But notice then he uses the word and. So far, there's been no word and. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire group together. And then he seems to transition, some commentators believe, and I think they're probably right, to a new category. And, by the way, greed I include as well. Now, greed is the word covetousness, literally. It's the desire to have more. In some contexts, this word can have sexual overtones, coveting something sexually, but normally it refers to the sin of materialism, the insatiable desire to get your hands on more stuff. Now, with that in mind, notice the shocking statement that Paul makes about covetousness. He says, you're supposed to consider covetousness dead, and covetousness amounts to idolatry. Now that sounds bad, but that's not nearly as bad as it really sounds. 
This is one of those rare cases when the New American Standard translators don't translate literally. What the Greek says is this, covetousness which is idolatry. Paul uses the standard Greek verb of being. In the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, it says this, the covetous man who is an idolater. Now, stay with me. These passages are very disconcerting because they make it clear that idolatry does not have to include the name of a deity that you worship, nor does it have to include some determined resolve to substitute that deity for the true God. The covetous person does neither of those. He simply pursues his desires. As one author has put it, today's idols are more in the self than on the shelf. The word covetous here, covetousness, refers to a strong desire in the heart for something. It means to crave either A, what you don't have, or B, to crave more of what you have than you ought to crave. You can covet or crave a person with the ultimate goal being sexual fulfillment. If you read the Tenth Commandment, you see that listed there. You can covet or crave material things. You can covet or crave, and this, is, this gets us all, a change in our circumstances in some way. Now, our first hint that idolatry may be something that goes on primarily in the heart connected to our desires comes all the way back in Job. Turn back to Job 31. Job 31, most commentators point to as sort of an introduction to this concept of desire being idolatrous. In Job 31, verse 24, Job is defending himself. And he says, If I have put my confidence in gold and called fine gold my trust, if I have gloated because my wealth was great and because my hand had secured so much, if I had looked at the sun when it shone or the moon going in splendor and my heart became secretly enticed and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth, that too would have been an iniquity calling for judgment, for I would have denied God above. Now, what's going on here? Basically, Job is saying, I am not an idolater. And he gives two examples of idolatry. He gives an example of nature worship, like we were talking about a few minutes ago, with the sun, the moon, and so forth, and materialism in the same paragraph. Now, this concept of our desires, our cravings being idolatrous, is carried to a much further extent by Ezekiel. I'm not going to have you turn there, but I would encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 14, both verses 4 and verse 7. In those verses, Ezekiel refers to the cravings that take place in the heart as idols of the heart. You see, you don't have to make a statue to, have, to be idolatrous. You don't have to have a God other than the true God and deny him to be idolatrous. You simply have to have a craving in your heart that you give too much room to and you become idolatrous. He refers to them as idols of the heart because we often obey them rather than God. We often worship them rather than God. In Os Guinness's book, we read this. The crucial warning is this. As soon as our loyalty to anything leads us to disobey God, we are in danger of making it an idol. An idol needs not be a full-size replacement for God. Nothing can be. 
we become increasingly attached to this desire until it comes between us and God, making God and his commandments irrelevant or unrealistically prohibitive. And something within creation will then be idolatrously inflated to fill the God-shaped hole in the individual's world. You see, once anything displaces the rightful position of God, it becomes an idol. As J. McMath says, that for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange is the most important thing in my life. Whatever that is, is my God. Now what about our society? What are some of the cravings that our society falls down and worships, as it were? The cravings that push God out of the heart. Let me give you a brief list. This is certainly not inclusive, but here are a few. Pleasure, indulging the appetites of the body. In Philippians 3, Paul refers to those whose God is their belly or their appetites, their bodily appetites. That's their God. They live to satisfy it. 2 Timothy 3 speaks of lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It includes the pursuit of all such things as drugs and alcohol and sexual sin, as we saw it in Colossians chapter 3. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, speaks of sexual sin being pursued with covetousness. Greedy about it. You know, this is so appropriate. I recently read a report that the revenues of the pornography industry in the U.S. are $12 billion a year. $12 billion. That is bigger than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Worldwide pornography sales are reported to be $57 billion. To put that in perspective, two years ago, Microsoft reported world revenue of $38 billion, or $20 billion less. Certainly pleasure and sexual sin being one of the forms of that is one of the gods of our world. Materialism. In other words, possessions, a comfortable lifestyle, money, or wealth. Again, the issue, issue isn't having these things. The issue is, do you allow those things to, place, to outplace God, to outstrip God in your affections? Number three, status, respect, significance. Power and control. A lot of people just want to control. If they can't control their circumstances, then they'll control at least their body. They starve themselves or... Do something else to indicate that control. Professional success, approval, acceptance, being well-liked, appearance, appearing thin, appearing young, having a beautiful body. Even fitness is a god to many in our culture. A few others are things like entertainment, leisure, sports, work. Work can be a god and often is. Family can be a god that's put over one's responsibility to God. Fulfillment, peace, being married can be a God. Independence, having children, or having the time to enjoy your children, or security, whether financial or physical. Those are just a few of the cravings that people in our culture literally worship. You say, wait a minute. Are you saying people really worship these things? Absolutely. Just think about the sacrifices they make to these cravings. The idolater is willing to sacrifice his time, his health, his family, 
his money, other people, almost anything to gain these things that he craves. Aldous Huxley was right. Every idol, however exalted, turns out in the long run to be a Moloch, hungry for human sacrifice. By the way, Guinness in his book notes that we have also revived child sacrifice through the abortion industry and in child neglect out of loyalty to these idols. Now, maybe you didn't hear yours in the list. Okay, well, let me ask you this question. What is your greatest ongoing desire? Or let me put it differently. What would you give anything to have? And once you have it, what would you do whatever it takes to keep? Whatever that thing is, it is in very real danger of becoming an idol in your life. The problem is, though, we often lie to ourselves about the true nature of our idols. So how can we really recognize if our desires have become idols? That's a question I had to ask myself this week, and you should be asking yourself, how do I know when a desire has become idolatrous? Well, let me see if I can give you some help. Actually, let me see if R.L. Dabney, great American theologian, can give us some help. Listen to what he wrote. Now, this was written at the time of the Civil War, so listen carefully. The most current breach of the first commandment in nominally Christian communities is doubtless the sin of inordinate affections. That is, affections or desires out of control. Scripture brands these as idolatry or the worshiping of another than the true God, especially in the case of covetousness. And parity of reasoning extends the teaching to all other inordinate desires. We conceive formal idolatry as that of the Hindu, a very foolish and flagrant thing. But we forgive the spiritual idolatry of passions. God classes them together in order to show us the enormity of the latter. Now listen carefully. What then is that? What then is it that constitutes the having of God for our God? It includes love him stronger than all other affections, trusting him as our highest portion and source of happiness, obeying and serving him supremely, worshiping him as he requires. Now that thing to which we render these regards and services is our God, whether it be gold, fame, power, pleasure, or friends. Did you hear Dabney's test of whether some desire has become an idol to your heart? Let me put it in contemporary language. Here you go. Do you love what you want more than you love anything else, including God? Are you willing to disobey God to have it? Is that desire and its fulfillment what you believe will bring you your highest and greatest happiness. In other words, are you convinced that that thing you want is what will bring you the greatest of happiness? If you're convinced of that, it has become an idol. If anything other than God himself is your greatest source of happiness and satisfaction, then you have constructed an idol. Do you obey that desire and make sacrifices to satisfy it? For, let me put it differently. For what do you sacrifice your time, your health, your family, and money? If it's anything other than God, then you have an idol. There's so many desires that are part of our souls. And those desires come often from our fallenness. And they cry out to be satisfied. And they become literally an idol of the heart. I can't say it any better than G. Campbell Morgan has said it. Listen to what he wrote. 
Let men take five minutes to shut out everything except the great fact that they stand alone with God. Some are terribly afraid to spend even as much time as that with their own thoughts. If they will, if they dare, let them ask as they stand in the light of the first commandment, what is my God? To what is my life devoted? If the answer indicates anything that puts God into the background, then in the name of heaven and of their own safety, let them break down every idol and let the God who will be, who is, and who was be their God. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of Tear Down Every Idol. Join us next time for part seven. Well, friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You'll find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.